Hey there, I want to invite you to join me for the Strategic Summer Workshop, which is taking place on Thursday, May 30th at 1130 Eastern. You can go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer to sign up. In this workshop, I'm going to walk you through how to identify simple solutions and systems that will make a massive difference and ripple effect inside of your center. I'm going to help you create efficiency where you need it most and understand what is causing your school to feel so hectic and where those big pain points are. We're going to clarify your center's priority system to improve this summer. I'm going to show you how to audit those systems. We're going to define your desired outcomes, and you're going to leave the workshop with a simple plan that will make huge impact. And by simple, I mean very simple. No complex, no multi-step processes. Super, super simple. No one has time for long things. No one has brain capacity for extra stuff. We need simple things that have massive impact. Go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer, and I'll see you there. Welcome to the Schools of Excellence podcast, where we have conversations about education, leadership, and building a school of excellence. The goal on this show is to bring you clarity, up-level your mindset, and give you practical strategies and inspiration so you can show up with confidence and trust your decision-making. I'm Khani Wolshansky. I'm a mom of four under 10, a former New Yorker, and been in the early childhood field my entire life. And I'm so grateful that you've joined me for this conversation. Welcome back to another episode of the Schools of Excellence podcast. This is part two in our three-part series on firing. And today is about leadership and letting go. When is it time to say goodbye? So, you know, defining when to fire, knowing and defining when it's time to fire a team member involves making a lot of well-informed decisions. Um that can really, you know, be justifiable and contract-based. And there's so many factors that we're looking at. And so the decision to fire a teacher or any any employee really needs to be based on objective evidence-based assessments. It should be aligned with your school policies, your values, your overall well-being of just what's happening in the organization. And so today I'm going to talk, take a deep dive into all the different variables you want to be looking at when it's time to say good go and really when is enough enough. So in last week's episode, I spoke about the cost of not firing and the fear around firing and just gave a broader overview. So you want to go back and listen to that episode first, as this episode builds on the previous one. And so there is a lot that goes into decision making process around when is it time to say goodbye? When is enough enough? And today I want to dive into the first step in evaluating when is it time, which is evaluating performance. So because this is kind of the first thing that we look at. And so when we're looking at evaluating performance, we first have to understand the benchmark that determines what is a good job. So typically you're letting go of someone because they have poor performance, which means they're not doing a good job. Well, what is the definition of a good job in this role? This is why having very clear benchmarks for this is the level of success and also having success work in a sliding scale. So you have high standards, but then there's expectations depending on where you are in the journey. So someone who's been in the field for 10 years or has been in your center for 10 years should have a different expectation of what 
good performance looks like than when someone who literally has been in the company for 30 days. You guys have different expectations of what I expect of you as high quality performance, right? So I expect different things from my 13-year-old son when it comes to loading the dishwasher versus when my eight-year-old daughter is on duty for loading the dishwasher. Good enough has a different definition when you're 13 and when you're eight. Yes, it does. Welcome to the real world. When you're 13, you need to be able to load the dishwasher in this kind of way. And when you're eight, yeah, I'm going to let certain things slide because you're eight. So in the exact same context, when it comes to performance in a school, when you are been in the industry for a certain amount of years and you've been in our center for a certain amount of years and you know these you know standards and policies and values i am going to hold you to a different standard there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing unfair about that it's actually a very equitable way to run a center versus when someone who is 18 years old whose last job was working at wendy's and they came in yeah you're going to have a different expectation you're going to because you've been in here for five seconds so that's a really important thing to understand understanding and defining what is good enough, what is a good job, and then what is defined as poor performance. This is why in our Directors Inner Circle, one of our key assessments that we created in our proprietary process is the six performance keys. Those are the six key areas that teachers need to excel in to be a teacher of excellence. And it works in a sliding scale between one and five, constantly assessing, are you improving? Are you growing? Are you evolving? Right? Because we don't just terminate an employee when they have poor performance. Poor performance is an indicator that the person needs to up-level themselves. So we're evaluating the scale of their performance. In our Owner's HQ program, we have an assessment called the Four Forces Diagnostic, which just assesses how your directors are performing, your admin, your curriculum, your whoever it is, right? Your regional managers, your executive directors, how are they performing in the four key areas that they need to be performing in? So you need benchmarks to understand what is a good job and then what is poor performance? Because you also have to understand the difference between your expectations versus your company standards versus like, no, this is their skill set and they're actually doing a phenomenal job based on how many days they've been in the company or how many days they've been in this industry. So this is why it's nuanced. This is why I spoke about in the previous episode how you can't just rip off other people's the way that they're hiring or firing. It's nuanced and contextual to your specific center. So that's the first thing we want to look at is evaluating performance. Is this person not meeting expectation based on the expectation that we have defined as good enough or a high quality of excellence in our center? Okay, let's go to the next one. This is my biggest one, which is coachability and willingness to improve. One of our company's core values are, are you coachable? That is one of our core values. Why? Because I believe so strongly in a person's ability to be coached. One of our other core values is personal responsibility, the ability to admit that you made a mistake and take personal responsibility for it. These are fundamental for me. I don't care how many mistakes you made. If you own up to it and you say, I made this mistake, here's how I'm going to make it better. Keep on making mistakes because that's how we grow here, right? That's how we evolve. That's how we figure things out. Like, I want you to test. I want you to do trial and error. Like, keep going 
right? But if you make a mistake and you're going to start defending yourself and you're going to tell me, but this, but that, but your calendar's a mess, but this happened, but that happened, but this person, oh, you're out. Like, Like you don't last a day in my company. I do not tolerate people defending themselves, blaming other people, throwing other people under the bus, not taking personal responsibility, dancing around, playing passive aggressive. Like I don't fly for any of that. We are direct. We are clear. We are kind. We take personal responsibility. Done. Like that's what we do here. So again, different people have different levels of tolerance for different things. I have zero tolerance for lack of personal responsibility, like zero. Mayor and I once went to Niagara Falls many, many years ago with our kids when they were little. And um, we checked into a hotel very after checkout. So check-in time was like at four o'clock until we came up to the falls. I don't know. We checked in like 930 or 10 o'clock at night. And um, we had specifically reserved an adjoining room. Um, and I called the day before and I called the day of. I'm like, I'm just confirming. We have little kids. We need an adjoining room. All the things. We come in and they're like, oh, so sorry. You know, you checked in out, you know, way after check-in time. We don't have any adjoining rooms left. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't fly in my world. Um, here's my documentation of when I called you. I called you at this time and at this time. This is the person that I spoke with. This is the reference number. And they told me very clearly that when I come, there will be adjoining rooms. So if there isn't, you got to figure it out. Anyways, not only did they refuse to figure it out, they refused to take responsibility. They kept blaming us that we came late and that's why there wasn't any rooms. Anyways, long story short, that's not the point of today's podcast episode, but that did not land well for them or for me. We ended up getting actually an executive suite inside of their hotel because I went all the way up to the higher levels of management. I said, it is 10 o'clock at night. I have three little kids. You need to find me a room that has enough beds because my kids don't sleep in my bed and they will not be sleeping on the floor because I booked enough beds. So figure it out. So they gave us an executive presidential suite, actually, uh, which was quite lovely. I don't stand for people not taking personal responsibility. When you say something, something, you do what you're going to say. And here's the thing. It works both ways. When I mess up, I say it. Hey, I screwed up. That was wrong. When I have a high standard for excellence in this kind of way, that doesn't mean that I never fail. That doesn't mean that I don't make mistakes. Of course I do. And I hold myself to that high standard at the exact same time. So Let's move to coachability and willingness to improve, okay? What does that mean, the coachability and the willingness to improve? Somebody has to want to be coached. If they have a desire to get better and they have a willingness and they want to be coached, absolutely stay on the team. Let's coach you. You're not going anywhere. So how do we know if someone has the coachability and the willingness to improve? Well, there's some questions that you want to reflect on. So I'm going to share with you some questions. And this is an episode, if you're driving or you're doing something else, you'll want to go back to and take some notes because I'm going to share a lot of insight here. Some questions you want to reflect on. Number one, how does the team member respond when receiving feedback or suggestions for improvement? Are they receptive or engaged during feedback conversations or do they become defensive or closed off? This is a huge indicator on their ability to be coached, their desire to actually lean into the feedback. Another thing to reflect on, if they have a coaching mindset right there and a willingness to change is adaptability. How well does this team member handle changes in processes, procedures, or priorities, right? Are they willing to adjust their approach based on new insight or do they dig their heels in? This is huge in whether or not you decide to keep a team member or let a team member go. Another one, ownership of mistakes, right? Exactly like I said with the Niagara Falls thing, right? How does a team member react when they make a mistake? Do they take responsibility? Do they show a willingness to learn from those errors? What about consistency and effort? 
Do you observe consistency and effort from a team member to improve and excel in their role? Are they committed to putting the necessary work to enhance their skills? Or do they say, you know, this is what it is. I remember one time we had a team member many years ago inside of the company and um, she was very, very good at a lot of really important key components for the company. And there was one particular area that I wanted to kind of push her skill set to take on other things. And she's like, honey, like, she's like, I've been in the industry long enough. I'm old enough. I've been around the block a lot of times. This is what I'm good at. I'm not ready to learn anything else. Like, you know, this, this is what I am. And I was like, okay, thank you for, you know, telling me the truth and making it a lot easier for me to decide that this is not the right fit for you. So consistency in effort, right? The ability to want to enhance your skills and push yourself forward. Resiliency and growth mindset, right? How does the team member respond to setbacks or challenges? Do they view them as opportunities to learn, right? Are they willing to step out of their uh, comfort zone to develop new competencies? So especially when you're in positions of leadership, it can't just be, oh, I don't do this, or I don't do enrollment, or I don't do this, or I don't do tours, or I don't know how to do this, or I can't talk to parents. Okay. First of all, it's not, I don't do this. It's you haven't done it until now and I can teach you. So it's the willingness to be coached and push yourself out of your comfort zone. So these are some things that I want you to be thinking about when you're looking at, is it time to let this person go? Or is there something to work with still here, right? Is there something to work with? Okay, attitudes and mindsets. This is one area that rarely anyone documents. I find a lot of owners and directors obsessively document performance things or tardiness or the way that they spoke to someone or whatever it is, right? It's it's um, a lot of collecting data on certain things. There are certain things that are invisible and you actually have to look for them to make them visible. And that is attitude and mindset. And these are the things that I actually document consistently when I start to smell that an employee is probably not the right fit for the company. So let's talk about it, right? What is attitudes? Negative language and complaining. Pay attention to the language of an employee. Do they frequently complain, use negative or critical words, express pessimism? This is a sign that they are probably not going to last in your company, especially if you are a company that is growth oriented and positive and wants to you know, be in the pursuit of excellence. So we actually have several episodes um, that we'll link into the show notes on drama-free leadership and gossip. So if you have not listened to those episodes, definitely go check those out. It'll give you a lot more insight into how to assess if a person is full of drama and gossiping, which are huge kind of sometimes invisible factors that you're like, really, is that a reason to terminate an employee? Yes. Someone that is full of drama is a reason to terminate an employee. Blaming and defensiveness, right? Employees with poor attitude shift blame to other people and become defensive when they're faced with feedback or challenges. This is almost impossible to keep an employee like this because that means they are never wrong, which means you can never give them feedback, which means you, you can't grow their classroom or their role or anything. And these are things that need to be documented. So when you're coming to the person, which is next week's episode, which is how to have those conversations, you actually have documentation of where the person is showing a lack of willingness to be part of the team. 
And you're not using platitudes like, oh, you're just not a team player and, you know, blah, blah. No, no, no. Use concrete examples when it comes to attitude and mindsets, right? Frequent absences and tardinesses, complacency. Employees with poor attitudes become complacent because they avoid challenges, they avoid opportunities for growth, and they settle for mediocrity. They settle for mediocrity. Another component when it comes to attitude, limited problem-solving skills. A negative attitude leads to limited problem-solving skills. They constantly focus on all of the obstacles. They, they don't know how to look at solving a problem in a different way. This could be extremely taxing on your administrative team and leadership when you have a teacher that has such limited problem-solving capability and doesn't want to learn how to become a better problem solver. All they want is just tell me what to do. Just give me more tips and tricks. Just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. No, no, I'm not going to tell you what to do because you have a brain. It is a gift that God gave you that is unique to you. Use it. Use your brain. Learn how to problem solve on your own. I will be here to support you. I can give you resources of where to develop your problem solving skills. But no, I will not be spoon feeding you every possible way to deal with the tantrum. You need to figure it out. You need to figure it out. Let's talk about some other things. Invisible mindsets. Invisible mindsets. These have to be keenly observed because they lead to downward spirals. Number one, self-criticism. Someone who is constantly criticizing themselves and has large amounts of self-doubt can start to actually move around the center, right? Jim Rohn always says, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time around. So if you spend time around four smart people, you will be the fifth smart person. If you spend time around people that talk negatively about themselves, you will be the next person. So these things, while they can sometimes feel intangible, are super tangible because they really impact us. Another invisible mindset, rigidity, rigidity, resistance to change, new perspective, clingings to fixed beliefs, right? All of these things, comparison, constantly comparing yourself to others, the feelings of someone who comes across as feeling inadequate or envious or jealous. These are character flaws and mindset shifts that can be very toxic and poisonous to a company culture. And, you know, this is just a great self-reflection for you as you listen to us to say, one second, do do I exhibit some of these behaviors? Because maybe I need to ship up myself also. Overgeneralization, right? This is a huge one. Drawing broad negative conclusions from single negative experiences. And then they apply it to all situations. One day there isn't snack in the teacher's room. Oh my God, this school is so cheap. There is never snack in the teacher's room. One day or two days, lunch is late. Gosh, the school can't get it together. How come the cook is always late? Now the entire schedule is off schedule. You know, like, this is crazy. The kids are going to be cuckoo the rest of the day. Yep, your self-fulfilling prophecy might come true. So that kind of mindset and attitude of overgeneralization, again, it's something to observe. It's something to look at. When we're talking about leadership and letting go and when is enough enough, these are different things that you want to be looking at of do they have this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing and also this and poor performance and 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 attitudes and an unwillingness to coach. You're like, okay, yes, it's time to say goodbye. Lack of gratitude, failing to appreciate or acknowledge it, positive aspects of life and relationships um, and chronic stress. This is specifically for people in leadership, constantly feeling stressed, overwhelmed, unable to cope with challenges. That person is not a fit for the job. You're not in the same way that if you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. 
part of being in leadership is there's going to be consistent demands on your time and attention. And the way to deal with it is not to constantly say, I'm so stressed out. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so anxious. There's so much to do. No, that is the willingness to be coached and say, let me teach you a better time management strategy. Let me show you a better way to work at this. This is one of the reasons why my team and I have become even more selective about who we let inside of our program, because you know what? After seven years of doing this online program in the way that I'm doing it, there is a lot of people who say they want to change and grow. And once the rubber meets the road and they actually have to go and do the work and make a calendar and go create, you know, new systems and new operations, they're like, I'm out. There's a very few percentage of people who actually want to be in the pursuit of excellence. And so there's also a very few percentage of people who want to do this work inside of your school. And you will find those people. You will find those people. But someone who's constantly in a state of chronic stress and unable to cope with challenges is not someone that can be in leadership. Let's talk about personality fit. Because these things also, you know, people have asked questions like, someone could be amazing at something, but they're just not a fit. Let's talk about what it means not a fit. Okay, let me give you some examples. When you're bringing someone into leadership or you're creating pairs of teaching teams, you want to look at the... like one side and then the polar opposite of that side. So let's look at one of them, which happens a lot in schools, dominant versus submissive. A dominant personality characterized by assertiveness and a desire for control can clash with someone who's more submissive or has more of a passive personality leading to power struggles over conflict and decision-making. So when you're looking at creating personality fits inside of your leadership team, this is something to look at, dominant versus submissive. When I hire people on my leadership team, I am looking for strong, boundary people. You know why? Because when I give out roles and responsibilities and I give someone work, I need them to be strong enough to say, honey, that's too much. I'm out of capacity. I can't do that. That's not aligned with where you want to go. You're getting distracted. I know you saw that really great idea, but we set these goals over here. We're going to finish these goals first. Like every person on my leadership team has the ability and the capacity and the personality to do that. And if they don't, they're not on the team anymore because I need people in leadership to do that. Now, you have to be super confident in yourself to be able to handle pushback at that level, but I seek it because I need it in order to grow the company that I wanna be growing. So I have a strong personality and I can be dominant in certain areas, but at the same time, I love embracing when other strong leaders come in and I sit down, I'm like, this is not my place. Let me hear what you got to say. So that's one piece. Next one, detail oriented versus big picture. When you're putting people together, who's the detail oriented person? Who's the big picture visionary, right? I say this all the time. Like I'll host a huge event in my house. I'll make a delicious chicken pot pie with salads and sides and entrees and appetizers. And you know, everyone's about to walk into the door and there's like, where's the plates? where's the forks? Uh, There's no cups. We don't have drinks. Uh, He's like, how many people did you invite? I'm like 40. He's like, we've got 10 chairs, right? That's me, right? Like I create this like giant experience and mayor's like, where's everyone sitting? What is everyone eating out of, right? And the same thing is at my events, also the Summit of Excellence, right? Like Michalina, who's our head of events, like she's like, all right, honey, I got this. Like I'm gonna make sure everyone has food to eat. You make sure there's content, right? So I am a big picture thinker. I am not detail oriented. I I cannot see the details and they stress me out. 
Okay, structured versus spontaneous. A person who prefers structure and follows routine clashes sometimes with people that want spontaneity and enjoy flexibility. This goes into a lot of conflict over planning and organization, right? So when you're designing your org chart, your teams, your infrastructure, or you're bumping into things, you're like, is this person a good fit? Is this person not a good fit? Sometimes it's about repositioning them in the company. It's like one second, like, The two of them, their personality fits are clashing. We need to put you over here, put you over here. Now we're good to go, right? So thinking about that as well. Okay, what else? Task focus versus relationship focus. There's a lot of people specifically working in men who prioritize tasks and outcomes. They will clash with people who place higher value on building relationships. So When you're putting people together or you're designing things, or if you're putting um, someone in a director role, right, and they are constantly prioritizing their tasks and you're like, hello, you need to build relationships with the teachers. You need to go do some one-on-ones. You need to go do some classroom observations. When was the last time you wrote gratitude? And they're like, what? I got my task list done. I'm an A player. And you're like, no, you're not. You need to build relationships, right? That's a personality fit clash. They're personality and the way they're operating is clashing with the outcomes and the way that that role needs to be operated. Now, that doesn't mean you need to fire them. They could be coachable and they could desire the change. Then great. Then let's have that conversation. But if they're not, then they're in the wrong seat. Next one, independence versus dependence. An independent individual who prefers to work autonomously clashes with dependent personality who seek um, guidance, direction, right? Or people that like to work independently versus collaboratively. And so you have to like, you again, as the orchestrator and the puppeteer, as you're building this together, it's like one second, this person is like a lone wolf. That's not going to work in this role. That's not going to work, right? Again, you're not hiring a coder for a software company that you build, right? People are building software companies and want to find coders and engineers. Great. Go seek out all the lone wolves. They would love that job. But someone who's working in a position of leadership in childcare, you need to work collaboratively with other people, right? You cannot hide behind your desk. You can't do that. Lastly, skill set evaluation, okay? So I have so many... Uh, thoughts on this concept. And I'm going to try to keep this short for the purpose of keeping the podcast, not, you know, an hour long. So when you're looking at skill sets, right, there's technical skills, mechanical skills, leadership skills, and emotional regulation skills. So the mechanics and the technicalities are usually the things that we see right away as like these glaring mistakes. We're like, oh yeah, this person ain't going to last year, right? They can't figure out how to upload something or this. They don't want to learn. They're untrainable, whatever, right? Those are the mechanics and the technicalities of running the job. The two areas that I find people have a lot more tolerance for when really I'm like, no, 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 like you need to like drill this down a lot faster are leadership skills and emotional regulation skills, leadership skills, right? The person's ability to have difficult conversations, the person's ability to make eye contact, the person's ability to take initiative, the person's ability to go into classrooms and tell people, hey, this is not aligned with the way that our you know, school philosophy is, I need you to change that, right? Emotional regulation skills, the ability to stay calm, even when three people called out, the ability to do, you know, change management in the middle of something happening, the ability to, you know, run an effective fire drill or a, you know, active shooter drill. Like these are critical skills in leadership and they are teachable and they are trainable and they are measurable. But you want to be asking yourself, like, how many times are you going to train and, you know, figure this out with this person? So here's what we're going to do next. 
I want you to take time to reflect on today's conversation. Maybe go back, re-listen, because I spoke really quickly, and think about what are my next steps with the people that I'm thinking about who are, I'm shaky, right? I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe not. Take those people and run through the different things that I shared here today. And in next week's conversation, we're going to talk about those next steps. We're going to talk about how to have those conversations, how to navigate them, how to prep for them, how to lead them, how to do the post. Uh, It's going to be a long episode, but it's going to be great. It's going to be full of a lot of great information and content. So check that out. So thanks so much for joining me for today's conversation. Again, If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and leave us a review. If you learned something from today's episode, from last week's episode, and you haven't left us a review yet on the, on, you know, iTunes, please take a moment to do that. It really, really helps other people find our podcast. It helps us be more discoverable to other school leaders like yourself. So we would absolutely love if you can do that. Thanks so much for joining and we'll see you next week. If you are loving the Schools of Excellence podcast and have gotten any value out of it for your school, I would love if you can do two things for me. One, subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And two, can you please leave us a review? Reviews help other school leaders know that this is the place to learn how to build a school of excellence. And I would be so grateful if you can do that for us. Your help and support makes this show to be able to be listened by the thousands of other school leaders all around the world. Thanks so much for listening, for giving us your time and attention each and every week. And I appreciate that you have joined us. Hey there, I want to invite you to join me for the Strategic Summer Workshop on Thursday, May 30th at 1130 Eastern. You can click the link in the show notes or go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer. In this workshop, I'm going to walk you through how to optimize your already efficient systems or help you tweak some ones that need a little bit more tweaking to help you enter the 2024-2025 school year with ease, with success, and with calmness. Increase your profitability, reduce your expenses, and more than anything, just help you buy back some of your time. I look forward to seeing you there.